All right. Good morning. morning. Grab your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6, or your phone if you have that, if you're a guest with us. We're a crazy bunch here. Buckle up. Uh, As you just saw in the video, uh, our topic today is prayer. We're in this series on spiritual disciplines. We think that there's certain things that we can participate in as believers that help us um, walk with God, and it helps shape our hearts, and it helps transform us. And so we engage in these practices. Last week, we talked about scripture reading, and we noted some of the challenges as we're engaging in a, a, a text that is formed by 40 different authors over hundreds of different years. There's some questions that come into play. There's some challenges that come into play as we engage in the discipline of reading scripture. The same thing is true about prayer. There's some challenges, there's some hurdles that we can run into. I'm going to show you a couple graphics here. There's a survey done by Crossway uh, a few years ago of 14,000 people, and they asked them some questions about prayer. One of them was about satisfaction in prayer. How do you feel about your prayer life? And, and these were the results. Uh, each one of these dots represents 1% of the 14,000. And so at the top uh, are those who are very satisfied. So 1% of 14,000 people were satisfied in their prayer life. Uh, the majority is somewhere in the middle, <laughs> right? Half of the people who were surveyed, of 14,000 people, half of them said, yeah, I'm somewhat satisfied with my prayer life. These are, these are followers of, of Jesus. These are Christians. Hey, think, about, think about it for a minute in your own life. If you were to put your own dot up there, where would you, where would you put your own dot? Uh, where would you be in that survey? I, I think if we reflect on our own journey, it probably looks a lot like this. We're probably somewhere in the middle or dissatisfied with our prayer life, like there's, there's more to it. There's something that I, I want more of, but I don't quite know what that is. Uh, some of the reasons that we struggle being satisfied in our prayer life is because of uh, barriers, things that kind of get in the way. I'll show you another infographic here. Uh, out of those 14,000 people, these were the results of, they came to kind of four basic barriers. The first one is distraction. 57% of people say that distraction is the uh, the thing that keeps them from praying. Anybody relate to that? Yeah. Right? You start praying and then your phone goes off yeah. or you're like, oh shoot, I didn't respond to that email. Or it's like, ah, oh, man, I got this job I got to do tomorrow. Or your kid hits you in the face with a pillow. Or it's like you're trying to, you're actually trying to engage in prayer, but your brain is so busy, like it's so hard to focus. Uh, so that's, that's a big part, distraction. That's probably a pretty good word to describe the world we live in right now, distracted. Yeah, yeah. Like our schedules are over full, our minds are over full, and so we try to engage in the disciplines and it's like squirrel, right? Okay. Uh, next thing down, indifference. So the 15% of people would say, who cares? Like is prayer really that important? Isn't there people that do the praying? Like, there's prayer warriors, right? So aren't they the people that do the prayer and then I don't? Indifference. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, 15% say busyness. I should just add that. Let's just say 72% distracted. Uh, those kind of go together in my mind. And then uh, 13% lost for words. So 13% of 14,000 people say, I, don't even, I want to pray, but what do I say? That's real. Like, Jesus... Father, God, Holy Spirit, like, what words do I use? Hail Mary, I mean, we all have different experiences when it comes to church and tradition, right? So, which one do we do? 
can see how that's a barrier. Like, I don't even know what to say when it comes to prayer. Uh, yet, as followers of Jesus, that's why we're doing a series on this, prayer is important. We're actually invited into a life of prayer, so, so we're talking about it. Because even with the barriers, even with the challenges, even with our satisfaction being high or low on prayer, it's something that we are called to engage in as followers of Jesus. Luckily, we have someone to help us. We have a, a pretty good teacher on prayer, um, someone who not just prayed themselves but modeled it, uh, and they came to help us. That, that, that person was? Ah, it's always the right answer in church. <laughs> Jesus, this is amazing about the gospel. God incarnate. God showed up to say, hey, I know you're confused about literally everything, but I'm going to show you the way. The first followers of Jesus, they were actually identified, they were called the way, because they followed the way of Jesus, the, the way of his life. And so we get to learn from Jesus, who teaches us about prayer. We get to go to him to learn about prayer. But there's something important to to note before we dive into this text we're going to read, because Jesus didn't step into a blank slate. He didn't, he didn't step into a world that was void of thoughts, opinions, traditions, and practices. He stepped into a world that had all kinds of ideas, thoughts, practices, and traditions when it came to prayer. So particularly, he stepped into a Jewish world. The Jews, uh, they had prayer life. In fact, the Jewish prayer life is probably better than any of us. Uh, they had prayers that marked the beginning of the day and lunchtime, the end of the day. They had prayers for when the sun rose. They had prayer for when it rained. Their, their life could be characterized as a life of prayer. They were the people of God. Their whole identity was wrapped up in talking with God. And so Jesus stepped into a Jewish culture with Jewish people who had some traditions that were in place. Now, we'll talk about it later, but not all of them were awesome. They got a little twisted over time. The other side of it were... were the, the pagans, or as the Jewish people would say, the Gentiles. The Gentiles were just not Jews, right? Everybody else. So there's us, and then there's everybody else. And everybody else had prayer, thoughts, and ideas too. The world that Jesus stepped into, there, there was rituals around the idea of prayer, praying to the gods, praying to your ancestors. And that kind of prayer life was a, a little bit wild, uh, they, they kind of adopted practices that, that included chanting things and repeating things and kind of working themselves up into a frenzy to get the attention of the gods. So that was kind of the whole practice of, of pagan prayer and worship was maybe if we're loud enough, we'll annoy them and they'll have to talk to us. Or maybe, maybe we can stir them up and they'll show up in our lives. So this is the world that Jesus stepped into, all these different ideas about Prayer. And, and not all of them are bad. The, some of the Jewish practices of prayer are actually really helpful. I, I want to give you an example today. Um, is anybody familiar with the term mezuzah? You will be in a second. So a mezuzah is this little thing on the, this is on a doorframe of a house or maybe a business. A mezuzah is a little box. It's normally wooden. It could be metal. It could be plastic. And, and inside this mezuzah is a little scroll with Deuteronomy 6. And Deuteronomy 6 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. All these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So they took this quite literally. They, they put this in a scroll, and they put it on the doorposts of their house and on their gates. And here's the idea, that as they left their home, they would touch the mezuzah, and they would remember... I am a child of God, he is king of the universe, and I am submitted to him. Now, as a practice, that's not a bad one, right? Would anybody benefit from every time you walk through the door of your house, touching something that reminded you of who you are and whose you were? So it's not a horrible practice. Not all traditions and practices are evil or bad. Some of them are actually pretty helpful. In Matthew 5 to 7, we're going to be in chapter 6, Jesus, again, enters this world with all these swirling ideas and traditions and beliefs and practices, and in, in Matthew 5 through 7, it's the Sermon on the Mount, he actually begins to address a lot of the confusion and frustration and things that have gone false, and he teaches them the way. And for our sake this morning, he talks about prayer, teaches us how to pray. So Matthew 6, verse 5, let's read there. I'm talking fast, but we want to get through this. Matthew 6, verse 5. Here's what Jesus says. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will, will reward you. So Jesus, uh, first he uses this case study as an example of what not to do in prayer when he teaches on prayer. And these were fighting words because he's pointing out the behavior of the religious people, of the religious leaders. He's saying, if you want to pray, don't do what they're doing. <laughs> you see these guys, though, this is, this is kind of wild, but if you were to be in first century Israel, it, it was not a where's Waldo situation to find the religious people. I'll show you a picture. Uh, this is a representation of what they would have looked like, but it's not far off. Like if you walked into a courtyard or someone's house, you'd be like, religious person. It'd be very easy to find them because they were identified by special garb and special activity. And they actually had grown to kind of like the position and the, the prowess. And, like, and Jesus is addressing it. He's saying, hey, when you guys go to pray, don't, don't follow their lead. Because here's what they're looking for. They're looking for attention. And guess what? They're receiving their reward. They're getting attention. But that's not prayer. Jesus says when you pray, it's, it's about relationship. It's about intimacy. So go into your room and pray in private. Your God, God already knows what's going on in your heart. Pray to him. Don't pray so that you can be impressive. You with me? Continuing verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So here, Jesus is addressing the other side. He kind of talked about the, some of the Jewish traditions and practices, the religious leaders. Don't do that. 
Now he goes to the other side of things. He's talking about the, kind of the Gentile world, and he says, don't, don't do what they're doing either. And I already kind of talked about it. Don't get yourself all stirred up, repeating the same types of things, thinking that your, your increased activity is somehow going to turn God's attention towards you. God already sees you and knows what you need. You don't need to convince him to pay attention to you. He loves you. This is what Jesus is saying. Like, don't engage in that practice. That's silly. It's goofy. That doesn't even make sense. Now, I have to confess, uh, this is a Pentecostal church. We're in a Pentecostal movement. And uh, it may be helpful to pay attention to Jesus. There's some things that we should be learning from what he's saying in this text. I've seen so many interesting things happening in worship and in prayer that when I read this text, I go, huh. And I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm, I'm doing this because I engage in these things. Uh, I'll give you a silly example. And it's going to hit close to home. Uh, this one's funny to me. Think about when, we, when you pray or when you hear one of us pray in public, which is another thing that you have to sort through when you're preaching on this topic. When we pray, the amount of times that we, talk, we say God's name when we're praying. It's like he's hard of hearing or something. Like, God, we're so grateful, God, that you're our favorite God, and we want to worship you, God. I wonder if God's like, I'm already listening. Like, imagine if you did that with your friend or your spouse. Like, Jacob, it's so good to see you, Jacob. I'm glad you're here this morning, Jacob. You want to go to breakfast, Jacob? What would you like for breakfast, Jacob? That would be strange relationally, wouldn't it? I wonder if God, not that God like is shaming or condemning us, but I wonder if he's just going, that's not necessary. First of all, I'm paying attention to you before you say my name. So when you, when you say Jesus, like, I'm, I'm, I'm amped and ready to engage already. You don't, you don't need to convince me. So a couple of things just from this first part. God wants to talk with you. He wants relationship with you. He wants conversation. This is beautiful. And he knows you completely, so you don't need to try to be something that you're not for him. Be yourself. Carry what you're carrying. This gets us to verse 9. The beginning, Jesus makes clear what not to do. Now he teaches us what to do. Here's the phrase. Verse 9. Pray then like this which will lead us into the Lord's Prayer. But I want to pause here. Pray then like this. There's a question that we've got to wrestle with. Is Jesus, in this statement, prescribing to us, this is how you, exactly how you're supposed to pray? Or is he describing for us a form of prayer that we can... You with me the difference? Is he prescribing, now depending on your tradition or your faith tradition or what you grew up in, you may be on this prescribing camp, like you memorize this and you just repeat it. You could be on this side where it's describing. It's just a way of praying that we kind of stay in this framework and it's helpful. When Jesus says, pray then like this, what is he saying? Which one? Prescribing or describing? Ah, yeah. We don't really know. So I would tend to think it's probably both. Like, we got to look at it kind of from both, both sides. Now, as a Jewish person, 
I'm probably actually leaning to the prescription. Here's why. As a Jewish person, when I would go into, if I'm a Jewish person in the first century, when I pray, I'm actually praying the Psalms. I'm praying the prayers of the patriarchs. I'm praying the prayers of, so I am, I am reciting prayers that have already been prayed. So as a Jewish person, that's how I'm receiving it. If Jesus says pray like this, we're like, oh good, he's giving us a formula for how to pray. But he's also creating a structure for us to pray, which is, is awesome. I, I have to, I, I've been, been working this out in my own walk with Jesus the last three months because I went to a, a prayer school last November that just kind of blew my mind and rocked my world when it came to prayer. And I've been praying a liturgy for a few months, which is so foreign to me. But it's a structured liturgy where I, I'm actually praying the prayers of somebody else. And it takes quite a bit of time to do, but it's a framework that I, I pray in. And there's freedom within the framework to pray for family and friends and petitions and all those things. But uh, it's been helpful. In this prayer school, the guy that was teaching at this prayer school, he, he said something I wrote down because it was just like, Whoa, what? He said this, we need help when praying. We need help when we pray. Prideful people pray prideful prayers. Insecure people pray insecure prayers. Angry people pray angry prayers. Praying the liturgy or a liturgy or the prayers of others helps get us out of our own way. I'm still wrestling with that. Like, but that idea is, is phenomenal. That's why like, when you engage in a psalm and you read it, it does something in your soul. It's not your words. You're reading somebody else's song to God, but it's doing something in your heart. It's changing your perspective. That's, that's a form of like liturgy actually helping you engage God in prayer. So, prescribe, describe, we don't really know. Let's read it now. We've had this wild conversation. And I want to read it out loud, uh, and then I'll, I'll spend a couple minutes talking through it. So here's, here's the Lord's Prayer. Let's read it all out together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Now, in the back of your mind, you may be saying, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, depending on your translation, you have that or you don't have that. Some questions around that. The earliest manuscripts actually don't have that. So the text, this is the ESV, it's not in there. So that's a whole other conversation. If you want to have that conversation, I'd be happy to, but that's just a side thing. Let's just look at what, what's given to us here. If this is describing prayer, this is helpful. The first thing that Jesus does when he says this is how you should pray is he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He, he's helping us to remember when we go into prayer who we're actually talking to. This is so important uh, because it's so easy to think that our relationship with God is kind of like relationship with a buddy or wor worse, a relationship with like our butler. Honestly, sadly, this is going to hit close to home. Sometimes we pray to God like he's our butler, like, 
hey God, I don't know if you were actually paying attention, but there's something going on in my life. Are you going to deal with this or what? Right? Jesus says, here's how you should pray. Start this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be his name. Holy is he's set apart. He's other than us. He's above everything that's going on in our life. We need to remember who we're talking to. He's the Lord of the universe. He's the one who gives breath in your lungs. He's closer than you can imagine, yet he's more grand than you can imagine. Hallowed be your name, God. We need to remember who we're talking to. Second, (laughs) this is good. Pray then like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whose kingdom and whose will? Just give that some thought when it comes to our prayer life. I could give you a few examples of maybe we're praying about our kingdom and not the kingdom of God. Jesus says, pray like this. It's about his kingdom advancing on this. It's not our kingdom. It's his kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which means we enter into prayer in a posture of surrender, not the ones in charge. Not the ones with the agenda, not the ones helping God work his agenda out in the world. We're saying, you're at work and I want to be submitted to what you are doing. And as that's happening, pray then like this, give us this day our daily bread. So as we're remembering who you are, that you're above it all, as we're remembering that your kingdom is advanced, you are working, you said the gates of hell wouldn't stand against it, you are building your church, you are very capable of doing that with or without us. Thank you for that, God. Now give me what I need today to walk in that reality. And I love this, because he doesn't say, give us this day our five-year plan. (laughs) That's what I want. That's how my brain works, right? My team always makes fun of me because like, I'm, I'm actually in 2026 for sermon planning right now. That's a broken part. Of, that's a beautiful part of my brain that God made me that way. But also, I can get so stuck in the planning that I'm not praying, give me what I need for today. Help me to be present to what's in front of me today. It's real fun being in 2026. You want to know why? No one's there. <laughs> that is the safest place I can be. What's more important is being right here with you before Jesus. Give us what we need today. Oh, it's getting better. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So, 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 so pay attention to this. Jesus is reminding us when we, when we come to him in prayer, we've got to remember our position before the Lord of the universe, the righteous king. We are all sinners that need forgiveness. There's not a person sitting in here that's not broken in need of a Savior. But think about this. How often do we operate like there's people who have figured that out and then there's the others? (laughs) Jesus in his prayer says, forgive. He doesn't start with, Forgive them their debts, and then we'll work on me. Notice that? 
Forgive us our debts. So that we can, he's saying, listen, what I've given to you, you're able to give to other people. If you want something to chew on after service today, when you go to lunch, read the next couple verses, and if you really pay attention, you might not sleep well tonight. Because he goes into this forgiveness piece, and if you don't forgive, I'll let you find out for yourself. It's not awesome. But we need to remember our place before the King of kings and Lord. We're all broken. We've all fallen short. We all need his forgiveness. And so when we relate with each other, when we talk with each other, we, we, we go from a place of grace and unconditional love because that's been shown to us. So we're able to give it. Last, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Just a, just a cute little reminder that there is evil in the world because it's broken. God, help us to not walk into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. I'm deciding how much more attention I have at this point. This, this one is tough. Lead us not into temptation. My guess is, if, if, if it's true that we're all broken and all sinners in need of a savior. We all probably have some things in our life that are tempting. Okay. Common ground. Lead us not into temptation. There's probably certain places or certain things or certain areas, there's certain places that we can go that would maybe be places that lead us into temptation. Jesus says, lead us not into temptation. So you have to think about your own story. And if your struggle is, let's just use this as an example. If, if I am struggling with, with drinking as a way to medicate my pain or trauma, which I'll be frank about this, we've turned to substances, we turn to things that are, are actually harmless in the long run because they, they help us cope. So if, if alcohol is a problem, it's something that I'm turning to because I am dying on the inside and I'm, I'm reaching for something that will make me not feel, if that is my temptation or my struggle, when I pray, God, lead me not into temptation, there is a practical reality being lived out where I am not going to walk my feet into a bar right now. Think about your story. What is it for you? And it's not about setting up. The parameters are not fail-safe, but they're helpful. And when we pray, Jesus says, listen, you pray. Lead me today, not into temptation. Get real practical with it. What's in front of you that you might get yourself in trouble with? Just don't go near that. Proverbs talks a lot about that too. Just stay away from that. Now, you might need some help. Maybe you need a friend. I need a friend. I have friends that help me with the temptations that I have. And they know my story. And they know my brokenness. Do you have people like that? That you can pray together 
Say, God, help us to not go into temptation and deliver us from evil. Because there's, there's somebody working in this world that wants to wreck your life. There's an evil in this world. There is, there is a real devil. Did you hate your guts? He's like, you suck. Because you're created in the image of God. And I'm ticked at him. So I'm going to try to mar your life up. Now we're aware of that. That's why Paul says, when we fight, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against principalities and powers, these spiritual realities. There is a real evil in the world. So we're sensed to it in prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, let's stand up. Here's what we're going to do to kind of close. Caitlin, can you join me? We're a little bit late. I say this when we're running a little bit late. Please, um, please, 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 if you have children, um, get them first. Also, give our volunteers a hug and maybe a Starbucks card. Um, For me, do it for my sake, selfishly. Just help them. Um, I want to read through this again one more time, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to just read it line by line, and then I'm just going to give just a pause just, just to sit with the line for a second. Just let it kind of soak in, and then we'll go on to the next one. I'll kind of lead us, okay? Make sense? Here we go. Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.